much for being on the podcast. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just came back from uh, a trip to Charlotte uh, for about six days, so I'm refreshed Ooh. and back to work. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Where where do you uh, work from or where do you reside? I live in um, in Ambler, Pennsylvania, so it's a suburb just north of Philadelphia by about uh, 20 miles or so. Oh, cool. Good. I'm actually looking for um, vacation ideas um, <laughs> on the East Coast. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about you. Now, you know, I, I saw on uh, silenceteaches.com a little bit about your bio as well and that you used to be a financial consultant, which I thought was really interesting. And I know you have this really neat story that you share in your book, Sitting with God, A Journey to Your True Self Through Centering Prayer. So run us through, you know, the 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 old Rich Lewis, what was happening in your life and how you came to kind of go through this self-discovery process and now are so passionate about teaching the centering prayer, um, you know, how how all that unfolded. I'll, I'll let you, you know, take it away. Sure. So I guess the old Rich Lewis, and this is probably obviously prior to practicing center and prayer on a pretty consistent basis. I guess I started practicing in June of 2014 on a very consistent basis. So prior to that, I guess you could say I was kind of skimming the surface of I knew my relationship with God kind of lacked depth. I knew I wasn't really living from my true self, the person God wanted me to be. And I knew I just wasn't really empowering myself to kind of live the life that I, I was capable of, of living, but I just didn't know how that looked and, and how, how I got there. So I was simply um, exploring and, and looking at many different spiritual type of books. And I, I guess in 2012 or so, I came across books initially by Carl McCollman, and he talked a lot about contemplative prayer and the power of silence and how transforming it was. I don't remember him talking about a practice. So at that time, I would just sit in silence um, for minutes at a time because I knew there was something to it um, and it was brutal and I kind of forced myself to do it. <laughs> but then fortunately in late 2013, I was looking for a book to read on Amazon and I came across a book called Healing the Divide, Recovering Christianity's Mystic Roots by Amos Smith. And as I began reading his book, he talked about a silent prayer, a silent wordless patient practice he did in the silence called centering prayer. So that immediately intrigued me. And I began, you know, continuing to read his book. I reached out to him and emailed him, and we began a back-and-forth email dialogue on Centering Prayer. And I began practicing it for myself and reading other books on it as well. And, and that's really where, I'm calling not magic, but that's where I began finding myself. I began discovering my true self in Centering Prayer. Um, so as the practice, as I continued to practice from June 1, 2014 to this point, yeah, it's really changed. It's really changed me. The fruits of the practice, which really are God gracing me with fruits that God knows I need, have, have been. It's just been an incredible journey with what I, you know, how I've changed as a result of the practice, and really, pro- and how I'll continue to change as a result of this, this daily practice. Oh, that is cool. Now, why did you feel like you needed this to begin with? I mean, was there anything happening in your life that? kind of egged you on or urged you to continue this or or to get this journey? Like, was there a sense of something missing or anything funky happening in your life at that point? 
At that point, I would say no. Uh, I think I was just exploring and knowing that there was something more to God than than what I than what I initially thought He was, and that and that there was just not a lack. There was a lack of depth uh, to my relationship with God. It was the center of prayers that allowed me to kind of dig deep in, in the God well, in the well, instead of just skim the surface and really let go of me and who I'm not, and really become things that I that I didn't know I was capable of doing. So I think I was just simply exploring God, exploring knowing that there was more depth to God than I had. And I needed I needed to grow and I needed to change and I needed to kind of explore who who I was um, and who and who I could become. Okay. Yeah. So so you know, walk me through so you're a you know financial consultant, and then you are exploring this and the centering prayer and this practice that totally transformed your life and you really get connected to who you really are. So what happened to your outside world after this started happening, morphing, and changing? So so obviously I can, I'm still working in the, in the – I work in the 401K business, so on, on a daily basis I'm, I'm working and handling large corporate accounts and I handle the day-to-day operation of – operations of 401k plans, and that still happens. But as a result of the practice, uh, many things that were never on the radar screen began happening. So as I began this back-and-forth dialogue with Amos, um, he actually asked me to um, join his website. So right now I have my, my site, Silent Teaches, but before that he simply he, he saw how interested that I was in Center in Prayer. He asked me to work with him on his site um, recovering Christianity's Mystic Roots and, and have a meditation go off of his site. I think it was Mondays and his was Thursdays. So he invited me to join his site. I, I went on his site. I began have, sending out emails to his subscribers with, with me and what I had to say about centering prayer on Mondays. Oh, so that was really the first. That was really the first thing. And then the second thing was he saw how passionate I was in his book, was more academic, and he challenged me to write a book. And so it was oh. his idea um, for for writing my book. He, he said, you need to write a book. You know, you, it's changing you, and you need to share your experience. So Amos is the one that actually challenged me to, to write the book, um, and then he served really as a really good mentor um, for the process of writing the book and editing the book and approaching publishers and, and getting it published. So that was wow. kind of the second thing. Second thing that happened, um, and then al- along the way, I, I'm not longer at that church, but but I, I guess I, I began teaching it to people at my church. I was at a United Church of Christ, and then I had made some friends that had, a woman had left the church, and she was kind of serving as a special education um, teacher at another church. She invited me. She said, why don't you come teach our church centering prayer? And I thought, and I had never done anything like that, so I thought, well, I'll try. So I put together a PowerPoint, and I remember traveling to, to that church on one evening a couple of years back and did a centering prayer overview. And then it dawned on me, now that I have a kind of a, an overview, a, a mini workshop, if you will, I could kind of replicate and, and offer that to other churches in the area. This is all pre-COVID. So that was another thing I started doing was reaching out to churches and getting invited to teach their, you know, that particular church about centering prayer. And then 
lastly, I, I, I began, um, I thought I'd like to coach people. I, I work my day job. I work one-on-one with people as part of my job, and I thought I could use the same skill set and, and work one-on-one with others um, that want to learn more about centering prayer and deepen their relationship with God. So I simply put a tab on my website um, talking about it, and lo and behold, people began reaching out to me regarding wow. that as well. So a lot of neat things that are in peril. None of this was on the radar screen. So the book was not on the <laughs> radar screen. You know, teaching in the community was not on the radar screen. Getting right. on podcasts such as this was not on the radar screen. Um, one-on-one coaching was not on the radar screen. And, and, I, and I do a lot of speaking uh, to church groups as well. It'll ask me to come in and just talk about Centering Prayer, not necessarily do a Centering Prayer workshop, but just to talk about it and, and share. So all of that has happened, I guess, as a result of Centering Prayer. None of that was on the radar screen. So I'm I'm open to wherever the Spirit moves me, quite frankly. But a lot has happened, and a lot of exciting things have happened. And, then, and my website was created five years ago as well. So all of that happened because of the practice. Yes, that is perfect. I, I love how this natural unfolding is occurring in your life and spreading, you know, as I talked to my, you know, Light Warrior Tribe uh, about the spreading of our light and being who we really are and expressing, you know, the divinity within. And uh, this is exactly what you're, you know, what you're modeling um, is that you start with that passion and, and your focus and think kind of our natural outcroppings of that focus and passion and working with yourself. It's not like you started 10 years ago and say, I'm going to be a centering prayer coach, you know. <laughs> um, right, right. Very or- organic and that the spirit, like you said, spirit moving you. So I thought it was very interesting the other day. I'm, I'm, I'm very much not a Bible scholar, um, and my, my husband actually did a lot more in the past than I did, and I said, he was talking about, you know, he's reading this this book about um, Jesus went to meditate 40 days, whatever. And I said, you know, can you look up everywhere where they talk about the word meditate in the Bible? And because uh, I don't really remember that growing up in a Catholic school. I don't remember actually being taught to meditate per se. I mean, I sort of was taught to pray, but um, I thought it was very interesting that that word appears multiple times in the book. Uh, but certainly isn't something, you know, emphasized, at least how I grew up um, in, in my faith. And uh, now I've come full circle uh, to come all the way around, you know, to noticing how this is benefiting me, not in the way it was taught, but in a new way. So maybe you can back up and share with us, what do you mean by centering prayer? And, and how, is, you know, how does that all work? Sure. So why don't I, give, I can give a quick history of Center in Prayer and then just talk about how you do it. Um, that might, that would, I think, help. So Center in Prayer um, was created about 50 years ago, um, actually by three Trappist monks. So three Catholic priests at that time saw other forms of medica- medication, <laughs> meditation <laughs> happening, and they wanted something for the Christian community. And one of the one of them, Father William Manager, was reading a 14th century classic book called The Cloud of Unknowing. And as he read the book, a, a method really of silent prayer jumped out the pages at him. And he began sharing it with the two other priests. And, and they began you know, doing it amongst themselves. They began teaching other clergy. And then they really began rolling it out to, to the lay people because they didn't want, it wasn't something just for a priest or, or clergy or pastor to do, but it was something that everyday people could benefit from this type of practice. 
So so it is silent, wordless prayer. And and actually, if you think about it, too, before I get into how you do it, most people don't think of Christianity as, as having a tradition of silent prayer. But it, it really goes all the way back to Jesus. In the Bible, he goes off to be alone. And we, we don't surmise that he was always talking and battling to God. He was silently sitting with God. Um, right. And, and particularly if you're fasting for 40 days, you can't talk. You've got to conserve your energy. So you need to be silent and, and quiet while you're doing a fast. So Jesus, in some form or capacity, probably practiced some type of silent prayer. Um, and then even going into the Old Testament, you know, be still and know I'm God is mentioned. So kind of references to silent prayer are, are ah. in the Old Testament or in the New Testament of Jesus. And then from Jesus all the way to the present, you know, the desert mothers and fathers um, in the third and fourth and fifth centuries, um, and then even coming all the way forward to, to people you know, such as Thomas Merton. Um, so there's a rich tradition, and the Eastern Church, I guess, too. So there's the Western Church and then the Eastern Church. And the Eastern Church does practice a lot of silent prayer. The Western Church, though, um, doesn't. And, and it's, people don't realize there's this rich tradition of silence and silent prayer in Christianity. Um, it's just kind of on the other side of the world. <laughs> so... Um, that's a little history, I guess, silence and silent yeah, prayer. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, and then what centering prayer is and how you do it, it's considered two things. It's considered meditation, but it's also considered a relationship with God because during centering yep. prayer, we believe we're opening to the presence and actions of God within when we practice centering prayer. And how you do it is you sit comfortably with your eyes closed to begin your silence, that you introduce a one or two syllable word. So it could be love, God, ocean, a color. And that signifies your opening to the presence and actions of God within. And then as you're sitting there, when if you begin engaging your thoughts, and what I mean by that is if you begin thinking about all the things you did before the sit, or you begin planning the errands or things you're going to do after your sit, you realize you're no longer sitting with God. You're sitting with yourself and you're planning and you're plotting. So you reintroduce that word, sacred word, interiorly to come back to the present moment and the purpose of your sit, and then let go of your engaged thoughts, and then even let go of that sacred word. And you, you use the word when needed just to keep coming, bringing yourself back to God. So you don't use it as a mantra. You use it only when needed. There are mantra practices. Centering prayer just happens to not be one of them. So there are many practices where you repeatedly saying something interiorly or maybe even speaking it out loud, but centering prayer is different in that you just use the sacred word to come back to the present moment and the purpose of your sit, of sitting with God and opening to the presence and actions of God within. So that's how you do it. And, and you can do it uh, for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, but that's basically how you do how you do the practice. And I'll say not simple because sometimes the idea of sitting in silence is not simple, but at least the sacred word is, is a helpful way for the practice. To, even before I practiced centering prayer, I didn't know what to do in the silence. Well, now that I learned centering prayer, the sacred word kind of taught me that's what I can use in the silence to bring myself back to God and the purpose of my sit. So when I engage my thoughts, I reintroduce that word interiorly just to come back to the present moment and the purpose of just really sitting with God and letting God act in me and getting myself out of the way. 
discuss a little bit of the history and, and how you do it. That's very helpful. Thank you for that. And very clear as well. Um, and when you say, you know, when you notice when we're sitting and uh, in silence and when we notice our thoughts kind of going about, you know, our grocery list or our to-do list, whatever, then we reintroduce that sacred word that we decided at the beginning. Uh, and when you say internally, you're not saying it out loud, right? You're saying it just in your in inside, correct? Yes. And you, and you don't have to use a word. I, I started with a word, and I realized words are, if you're more of an auditory person, I realized I'm ah. more of a visual person. So I actually introduced a kind of a picture in my mind. I've a, I received Richard Rohr has a, a daily meditation, and on one of them years back, there was a Jesus icon that kind of caught my attention. So I used my sacred image to bring myself back to the present moment. I just kind of picture it and think of that in my mind. I don't draw, you know, paint it out like an artist, but I kind of think about that image to bring myself back to the present moment. If you're more of a physical person, you can use your breath. And lastly, some people are afraid they'll fall asleep if they close their eyes. So they keep their eyes open and just stare at a spot perhaps five feet in the distance on the floor just to keep themselves present and focused on the present moment. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, now, in terms of you know the the um, uh, the you know how often um, you know where or when is there any guidelines related to that as as you know in terms of the centering prayer? Sure. So for people that are really brand new to a practice like this, I tell them to take baby steps. So I, I would suggest make it the first thing you do to begin your day. So before you do anything, do a centering prayer. Sit. And start small, so uh, one to five minutes. And then after 30 days, you know, begin increasing the time to 10, 15, and maybe even 20 minutes. And then at that point, once you have kind of a once-a-day practice of 10, 15, or 20 minutes, I encourage people to, to try to add a second sit at some point in the day. For me, it's really right before lunch because it's kind of a neat way. The first sit really opens me up to life, connects me to God, and really helps start the day. And then the second sit, you know, the interior reservoir runs dry. Runs dry. I, I begin getting tired. Um, I need to be refilled. So I, I always encourage people to add a second sit at some point in the day to really replenish yourself, refresh yourself, you know, reconnect yourself to God, reconnect yourself to life. So you can take the same approach with the second sit is, make it one to five minutes, and then slowly increase the time to 10, 15, or 20 minutes. And then before you know it, two or three months has passed and you have a, a practice, a centering prayer practice where you're sitting twice a day, and it just becomes a natural part of your life, and, and you don't, you miss it when you don't do them. Oh, that's beautiful. What I've noticed is that um, these habits, I, I love that you talk about having those baby steps, because one of the things that people get into and think, oh, I could do this for 20 minutes, you know, and then they have a sense of right. failure when they forget or, you know, things happen and whatever. The water main breaks and the whole place is flooded, you know, like all these things. And so people can start feeling bad about themselves uh, very easily um, when when they're not, you know, able to, quote, unquote, succeed. So I love what you're saying about just start, like, those baby steps and, um I think that that way is really great so that you have those successes, if you will, uh, early on and then being 
you know, really compassionate with yourself and, and um, you know, seeing how how it feels and how it works for you. So um, do you suggest that people, um, you know, do it in a specific place in their home or outside or in bed or does it matter from your point of view and your experience? The best thing to do is to find really a distraction-free environment. So if, like for me, we have a, we have a spare bedroom in our house, so that's where I do most of my sit. So I, that's most, I would encourage people to find a distraction-free environment and, and make that the place to do your sit. And then also you can have fun with it. You can be flexible and do your sits in different places. Um, what I mean by that is once a month I go to the chiropractor and the first room I go into is I'm lying on a kind of a bed with a roller underneath it just to loosen up my back before I go into the next room to see the doctor. And that's for 10 minutes. So I actually do centering prayer at the chiropractor. Um, I've, been, I've done centering prayer in the car. So pre-COVID, I was working in an office. So my second sit actually was in, in the parking lot of, of uh, at work um, before lunch in, in my car. So you can do centering prayer really anywhere in your house in a, in a you know a distraction-free environment. You can do it outside. You can do it in your car. You can do it while you know, if you're traveling and you're flying on a plane or sitting on a bus or train. You can do centering prayer. Be, people just think you're sleeping and you're doing your centering prayer practice. So I would say you can have fun with it too. In addition to your normal places you do it, you can have some fun and be flexible with where you might sit. Oh, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. Now, when you started doing this and practicing it, did you find that it was, you know, harder when other people were around you or the dog was barking or the UPS guy comes? And, you know, <laughs> like, how, how, what was your personal experience? Um, I mean, it can be hard. There's a lot, it, there's a lot of noise um, in the background. That, then maybe I, I suggested, like, I guess I'm fortunate that I live in the suburbs and even my work was really in the suburbs, so it, it wasn't hard to find to go. But for those that are in noisier settings or, or even in the city, I, I'll, I recommend maybe some type of white noise in the background, whether you know, you can buy these contraptions that are making kind of a, like, you know, it, I guess if you, go to, if you go to a psychiatrist or whatever, you can hear there's like a, a, a small little round box that has like a noise that make, makes this continuous white noise to block out other people's noise so that when they're talking with their clients. So you could do something similar if you're in a, you know, a more noisy environment, get some type of white noise, whether it's, you know, soft music playing in the background or, or the sounds of water playing in the background to kind of block out the other sounds. So I, I'll recommend that for, for those people that are in noisier environments. Some type of white noise in the background that kind of blocks out the other noise can be very helpful. Okay, yeah, that's good. Well, one of the questions coming up uh, is, uh, well, we're supposed to be in silence, so does that mean that, you know, having, you know, music or anything in the background is a bad idea? No, not, not if not if it's going to help you block out the other noises. Because I guess a lot of people, white noise can kind of help you sit still and, and be silent. And I'm not one that has to do this, but I know there's some people when they go to sleep, they need something in the background, uh, whether it's music or the TV, to help them go to sleep. So they're not even focusing on music, they're not even focusing on TV, but, but they, for some reason, for whatever their reason, they need that to help them sleep. So it's kind of the same idea for those that are coming from like a noisy uh, environment. The white, the constant same white noise can, can serve as a, 
a way of blocking out the other noise, but they're not focusing on it. They're really doing the practice. Right, right. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, well, you know, when I, I had some friends from the city, from Montreal, come to visit me. This was many decades ago, and I live in a kind of like a resort town, so it's very, very quiet, trees, mountains, you know. And uh, the, the funny thing is they, they get out of the car, and, you know, one of them says, listen. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, her friend's like, hear anything. And she's like, exactly. <laughs> Uh, because they were so used to this noisy city thing, the buses, the police cars, you know, everything like that. Um, so I'm kind of lucky that way in, in that, you know, those so-called, you know, distractions or even stressful noises really aren't really there. And um, so if, like what you're saying is like if, if you are in a, a noisy place where it is a, maybe a little bit more challenging for certain people, especially who are in my group and are very, you know, energy sensitive or sensitive to noise and things like that, then the white noise machine might be a, a, a tool uh, to help kind of block out those other things so that centering prayer can be a little bit easier when we're first starting, you know, kind of flexing those muscles, if you will, of of that connection with the divine. Um, now, when people ask you, uh, and they may not ask you in this, you know, direct way, but I'm just curious, when you're with churches, when you're working one-on-one or in groups, um, do they ever say, well, hey, Rich, you know, uh, what's in it for me? <laughs> you know, theoretically, this whole you know, knowing my true self and being connected more to divine God. Yeah, that sounds good. But what's it going to do for my life? You know, so I'm just curious whether you have anybody asking you, like, what's in it for me? Why should I do this? Uh, maybe they're more, they're, they're less rude than that. <laughs> I'm just curious if you had anybody ask you that. No, it's, a, it's an excellent question. Because um, what really happens, if you think about it, it's what happens is, so during centering prayer, we're, we're letting go of our thoughts and emotions. So we're really just letting go and we tell ourselves all kinds of things that are just not true, whether it's, you know, I'm not smart enough to do that or I'm the wrong person to do that or I don't have confidence to do that or I'm scared to do that. We're always feeding ourselves things that really aren't true. So centering prayer, kind of the letting go that we do in centering prayer, really begins following us outside of the practice. And we, and we learn to let go of things that really don't help us, that don't serve us, and then hone in to, and open up to the things that, that do help us. And, and so it, center in prayer really, at least for me and, and for others, kind of has a way of connecting us to the person God wants us to be. And it gives us the courage to do things. We, we, we kind of let go of who we are not and, and then move forward in life and do things um, that we never thought we were capable of, even if they're scary and, and outside of our comfort zone. So the practice it really has a way of, uh, the founders of it kind of said, they would say things like, you know, the way do it. If you do it, it will be, the practice will do you. And, and that's what I have found. So as I've been practicing centering prayer, you know, it has changed me because I'm, I'm letting go of who I'm not and becoming who I am that was always in there. So I'm a, I'm a much more confident person. I'm, I'm more, much more present um, on a daily basis with, with people, my wife, my children, I'm more willing to get out of my comfort zone. I'm, I'm less reactive and, and more willing to just listen to people and give them the space they deserve and not quickly render an opinion, but just kind of listen to what they have to say um, and then learn from it and see what, what neat things I can learn from people that perhaps I, maybe I don't initially agree with, 
but it, I'm letting go of the idea of I'm not agreeing and just not reacting and being open to what can I learn from this environment. So it, but this type of letting go you do in centering prayer just follows you outside of your practice and, and you'll let go of who you are not so you can become who you are. Um, and, and the neat thing is your true self really is it's a lifelong journey. So you're not, bam, I think my true self, your true self while I'm on this earth, I continue to grow and learn and do new things and continue to grow and learn and become my true self. Ooh. Yeah, that's beautiful, that evolution of the true self, like uh, taking off layers of, like you said, what is not you, the, the contrast. And because, um, you know, I, I in the past I have uh, the more judgmental version of myself. <laughs> you know, I used to kind of make fun sometimes of, you know, some of my friends who are like, I don't know, yogis and that kind of thing. And, and they'd be like so peaceful and, you know, spiritual and, you know, all all throughout their yoga class and they do the meditation, right? But then they leave that space and in their regular life, I'm like, well, what happened to all that peace? <laughs> so their life, outside life might be a mess and there might be stress, and then and then I just kind of got jaded a little bit about, well, you know, I don't see how this is really going to help me, you know. <laughs> so that's that that part of the ego part of me going, oh, okay, what's in it for me? Um, but what I have noticed is exactly what you're talking about is that in that space of doing this um, uh, practice like this and being consistent in it and connecting with the divine in that way, that it starts to affect and permeate throughout all aspects of our lives. And so it doesn't ma- mean that bad things, so-called bad things don't happen or things that are an obstacle, but that how we handle it. I love what you said about that reactivity, because that's huge. I talk about that a lot, how that reactivity just starts to just kind of naturally fade away. You don't have to fight against it. You don't have to resist it that your um, comfort zone, uh, you know, actually expands so you get more comfortable being uncomfortable and uh, that courage and being the bigger version of who you are as you do the practice over time. And that's what I love to see, that transformation for people. So this is one way in which, you know, this can be a natural outcropping of this very simple and elegant practice. If it resonates with someone, that's, I'm like, well, try it out, guys, you know, see how it works for you. I'm really a fan of what works. What works for one person might not work for another. But, uh, yeah, this is great. I, I love what you said about that, Rich. Thank you. And, and what really happens, and it's a true healing, if you think about it, if you, you come to your practice you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly, annually, years basis, a lot of things are happening as you're sitting there. You're you're letting go of thoughts and emotions that you don't need to hang on to. You're letting yep. go of repressed thoughts and emotions that you didn't even know you had. You're letting go of tension in your body, um, whether you're holding your shoulder or your stomach or, or your uh, forehead. So every time you sit, you're letting go of thoughts, emotions, repressed thoughts, tensions in your body, and you're really freeing yourself. You don't need to be carrying all this baggage around with you. So as you practice over the years, it's true freedom. I mean, you're, you're losing all of this stuff and then living from from a kind of a different position, a freeing position, and more willing to, and you're, you don't know, react and things gently bounce off of you or when something happens you, you learn what to let go of and what 
you need to focus on and how you need to get through a particular situation. So it's just the practice has a way of doing you as you as you do the practice. Yeah. Right, that nat- I love that, that natural letting go. Um, sometimes I talk about the auto-healing state. So this is really, you know, what you're describing is that in uh, through the centering prayer and um, having that consistency, whether that be a minute or five minutes a day or twice a day or however, you know, we work up to it, that that permeates the rest of our um, existence and life and our experience. And so that letting go or that auto-healing is actually happening and you know, some things we don't even need to know about what's letting go. It's just getting let go because we're giving that space to be able to do that. So I, I think that's, you know, just fantastic. And and kind of, you know, some people are surprised and are asking, well, why why isn't this already taught in our Christian, you know, schools and churches um, so do you have some thoughts around that, since I believe, like you do, is very powerful? I think it just scares people. They, they, they'll they say it's new agey, it's not Christian, when when the reality is it, 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 it has, it's a silent prayer, it has a rich tradition in Christianity. People just don't realize it. It's more in the Eastern Church than in the Western Church. So I think it's just because it's not known um, and not taught that they don't think it, it's something – that make that's they don't think it's of Christianity. <laughs> they think it's uh, it, it's heretical when it's far from it. So I think they just need to. I think the edu- where education has to occur is just sharing the rich tradition in Christianity with silent prayer and to share in the Bible, the New Testament and the Old Testament, you know, references to silent to silent prayer. And so I think education needs to happen rather than otherwise people just think it's not it's not biblical and they don't think it's, it belongs in the church. But if we can share, it's very much it's a rich tradition and it's very much in the New and the Old Testament. Okay. And have you noticed in your current experience so far that are there any, you know, uh, church or, or denominations that tend to be, in your personal experience, more open to you coming in and teaching this and some less often or is it kind of around, about the same across the board? No, it, it, it's the churches that I, I guess I've that been welcome and, and didn't have difficulty getting into were United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church, uh, Lutheran churches, um, and that might be about it. But my experience, and, and, and actually um, the Presbyterian. So I, I the churches that I've actually been able to get into and speak with are Presbyterian, Episcopal, United Church of Christ, and Lutheran are really the four main groups that I've been able to get into and are, that are willing to learn more about this silent prayer. Okay. And are these churches near where you reside or are you traveling all over? So pre-COVID, they were kind of in my 10, 20-mile 20 20 radius. When, when I would kind of reach out, but now now I'm doing a lot of stuff via Zoom, so they're all over. So I, I've talked to groups really all over the United States at, at this point, and do Zoom sessions with. They'll have a uh, an adult group that meets, and they'll just meet. They'll, they might be meeting at the church, and then they'll just connect with me via Zoom, and, and I'll talk with them via Zoom. So presently, I guess I've been doing a lot of Zoom 
and it's everywhere, okay. really, all, through, all throughout the U.S. And I've actually spoken to some groups. And I spoke to a, a spiritual directors group, and that was in Canada, so that was kind of neat. But all over the U.S. And, and, and also in Canada at one point. Oh, that's that's really neat. Now, um, you, know, you said like these these uh, d- um, churches were you know open to the message and having you teach in there. So, uh, curious as to you know what your outre- outreach was like for the other types of churches, and did you you know reach out to all different types of denominations and and you know how was that experience for you in terms of them saying no or whatever um, to the offer? So I guess pre-COVID, I, I guess I put together, I had a kind of a canned short letter that I would email kind of the either the pastor or, or I email someone in charge of the adult education. And I really just kind of quickly talked about, introduced myself, told them I had a book, told them that I practiced a prayer, a silent prayer practice called Centering Prayer. And, and I kind of connected it to Jesus and because it's based upon Matthew 6.6. 6, and talked about that in the email, and then just asked them if they had interest in me speaking with their group so they could learn more about this silent prayer practice, you know, that's based upon Matthew 6. 6. So I would either say, yes, we're interested, or I wouldn't get a response. So I, I guess I, I, didn't, I didn't really hunt them down. I was just kind of sending it off and not really, I didn't want to bother, <laughs> bother people. And even in the email, I would put in, you need to put in there so you're not considered spamming people if you want to be removed, you know, reply, remove me. And I had one or two of them as well, but you want to put that in the email. If you're going to send an email, it gives them the ability oh, to right. remove you. Not that I'm um, on this list that I'm constantly emailing, but you gotta, you got to put that in the email. So that, so really, I guess, is the people that it piqued an interest, they would reach out to me and then we would get on the phone, talk more about it, and talk about what would be the best way to meet with them or what would be the most interesting things to talk about on a Zoom call. And then obviously once COVID hit, um, with my book, it was I began getting, I would share that I do this. So I would get kind of some, and that was the fun part, but some natural outreaches from different groups saying, we'd like you to come talk to us. I've read your book and I think it would be neat for our church to have you talk. So the book spawned much too, which was nice. So it turned into more the book help because they saw I had a book, they had read the book, and then they could see my social media presence where I was saying, you know, invite me to your church, but let me meet with your church and share Centering Prayer or, or answer your questions about Centering Prayer and to really cater it to whatever makes the most sense for, for your group, whether it's a Centering Prayer workshop, whether it's just a friendly talk, or whether it's a specific topic you want to meet just to talk about. That's fantastic. Well, it's so funny about the whole, you know, because I have several, you know, marketing mentors and things like that. And we talked about, you know, the the helpfulness, if you will, of the tool of of having a book or having a social media presence. So they just know you're not some wacko person, you know, right, right. <laughs> new age weirdo, right? Um, and they can kind of check you out and go, wow, I really like what this person's seeing. You know, <laughs> uh, then, so, yeah, so the book is helpful. Yeah, and, and many of the people that they, you know, they've either read the book and they, it resonated with them, or they see me on social media and, they, and they're reading and following me and, and learning from me, or they're reading my, you know, they're other subscribers to my website and getting my month, my my weekly emails. So they feel like they know me, and then they then they reach out to me. So it's been mostly, you know, a lot of the 
they're familiar with you. They've been following me for a couple months or, or a year, and even with coaching clients I have. I mean, I'm finding some that people have followed me for a couple years and then finally reached out to me to say, I, I think you can help me. Let's talk. Oh, yeah, that's exactly how it works. Yep, yep, the same here. I t- yeah, uh, some people have to kind of, take some time to know you like you trust you, you know, uh, kind of absorb the material. And then oftentimes I think they're also seeing and sometimes feeling in, sometimes not even with their eyes, but just a feel of are you really consistent? Are you somebody who walks their talk, you know, and walks their walk? And then when they see, yeah, you are, okay, <laughs> then there's that trust and then they can reach out. So that's fantastic. Um, so your Sitting with God book is available on uh, the regular, you know, retail outlets, right? I, I see you, there's a, we have an Amazon link here. Um, and um, can you just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what, what's in the book? And so folks resonate with that, they can get a copy? Sure. So, uh, the book primarily is it's um, it's about centering prayer. It's really it's really uh, it talks about what it is, you know, how you do it, and it shares a, a lot of my own journey. So I, I, to make myself vulnerable in the book and kind of share how it healed and transformed me, and, and put a lot of that in the book as well. And then I purposely made the book um, easy to read, so the chapters are short, and even within each chapter. There's you know, the heading, so you kind of know exactly what you're going to read for the next page or two before you have the next heading. And then at the end of the chapter, uh, questions for reflection um, and discussion in case they want to kind of self-reflect or if you want to use it as, you know, as part of a book study with your church. So I made the book very easy to read, read it in short, uh, digestible chapters, um, and down-to-earth, just ordinary person and how this, what it is and how this practice has helped with Rich Lewis. And it also can help people that are currently doing this practice. So a lot of that, and I, in the book I talk a lot about what is centering prayer, the fruits of the practice, you know, who is your true self. And, of course, Jesus is important to me, so I have a chapter on just the historical Jesus. Um, where I, what do the scholars say they can know about the human Jesus that, that existed? So I have that in the book as well. But that's a little bit about the book. Making, I just okay. want to make it a very easy-to-read book for people new to the practice and for those that want to go deeper in their existing practice. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's very interesting, this part. Uh, I'm just looking at the table of contents here. And, um, y- you know, uh, the, the part four about uh, the Jesus paradox, um, so chapter 11, Jesus and non-duality, and, uh, you know, something I talk about a lot of, the time about the polarity duality and a lot of us in the quote unquote spiritual realm you know uh the woo woo people you know talk about the shifting of that um duality to unity consciousness um you also have chapter 12 the mystery and paradox of jesus chapter 13 cosmic christ's infinite word and chapter 14 embracing the mystery of jesus's dynamic unity at work in me so can you tell us just a little bit about um you know, uh, you know, Jesus is important to you. Um, tell us a little bit about what you learned through your relationship with with God and Jesus, related to non duality, related to the cosmic Christ. What what do those things mean to you? Sure. Um, well, I, I guess one one I very much believe Jesus was the human incarnation of God, and and really served as a model for us on, on how to be a better human. So uh, that's at least, and and, and some people aren't. 
that's not where they're at, and I'm okay with that. So I think of Jesus as the human incarnation of God, and he's God and human at once. And I think of Jesus as, as really a great model for you know, how I can live as, as a human being on this earth, uh, just with the actions he took and his, you know, how uh, friendly he was, inclusive he was, everybody had a, a seat at the table, but also how we kind of challenged the authorities as well and wasn't afraid to challenge things when he saw, thought things weren't the way, way they, they ought to be. So Jesus, I guess, has really always been very important to me. Um, and then the other topics, those were just, I, I was more of exploring. So as part of the book, I was kind of exploring my own theology. So in terms of what, you know, what does non-dual really mean? And, and to this day, it still confuses me, but really, I, when I think about non-dual, it, it's really, you do it, centering prayer, you let go, and, and being non-dual means you kind of let go of the, the, the right or wrong of things, and it's like more of a saying yes to life and opening to the diversity that life offers and the diversity that people can bring to the table. Like if you think of a, a small, either a small or a large company, you wouldn't want everyone to be the same. You want everyone to be diverse and bringing different skill sets and different ways of doing things to the table, and that would that makes most likely for a better company with, with more diverse ideas. So I think of non-dual as being really there is no there's no no everything belongs and the diversity of life and the diversity that people can bring should be honored and accepted rather than a quick no that's not the way it should be so. So non-dual is really just really being open to, to life and, and what it has to offer and learning to say yes, not not no so so quickly is, is the way I think about it. And then the cosmic yeah. Christ, and, and I'll pause for a minute there if you wanted to react. No, no, that, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. And then the cosmic Christ is just thinking of, you know, we, it's just the enormous how, how enormous this is. So Jesus was, was a human being at one point in time, 2,000 years ago, and then the cosmic Christ is, is really always existed. So and the spirit of God is, 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 is really in everything and permeates everything and is always growing and, and always on the move. So the cosmic Christ is just thinking of spirit matter is in the smallest atom and is in the universe. So it's just in everything, and and we just make God sometimes too small, and it's just a way of, of expanding God, and, and God is huge and, and sometimes hard to comprehend, but God is God is in everything, whether it's the smallest atom or the largest, the universe and the, and the, and the planets, and God is, is always on the move. The universe is growing and moving, and God is on the move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I uh, totally resonate with that. Um, you know, I like I said, I'm not a Bible scholar by any means, but there were certain things that I did learn, you know, through my Catholic upbringing that still ring true to me, or or still resonates with me. And one was, you know, Jesus being quoted as saying, "Is you know, all this that I do, you can do and more." Um, and and that always was like whoa really you know <laughs> at the beginning but now it really feels um like true you know to me um 
and and I think the attitude that I received again my own personal perception which may be distorted uh from my religious upbringing was that you know what whatever Christ did I mean theoretically <laughs> we should be doing too or we could be doing but you know he was God and we're not and so we're little people and we do the best we can but we can't ever imagine to be as good or powerful as Jesus but I really feel something different now you know who I am today um and really absorbing that message from Jesus that um yeah, it's like he modeled that. So why can't we be like that, right? Why can't we be the divine incarnation, if you will, of God if we choose to be? So that's where I'm at at this point. It may not resonate with everybody, I understand. Um, but it uh, it gives me a lot of peace and joy, really, um, in connecting with what people are calling the Christ consciousness. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful and so true, and that's what, at least for me and then for many others, kind of a silent prayer practice does. It, it helps us connect to um, the divine within and then get up. So we sit in silence and then we get up and walk. Um, and we don't walk. We don't say, see you see you later, God. I'll see you at the next silent sit. God comes with us. Right. And we, par- we partner with God as we move through life and we start doing things that we never imagined that we, we could do. So that, that's exactly what happens is we... The inner divinity moves and, and is spawned into action, and we start doing things we never thought we could do and, and accomplish, which is what, what I'm seeing. As I mentioned earlier, none of this stuff was on the radar screen, a published book and speaking um, and coaching and a website. Um, none of that was on the radar screen. Um, and I, Even if it had been thrown there, I probably would have been terrified and never done it, but my yeah. practice has... <laughs> has helped me to, to do that and just move and, and trust the nudging of the spirit and just move, keep trying to move out of my comfort zone and do and try new things. Mm, that's beautiful. And in the past when, you know, I, I was always kind of like wanting to be a mover and shaker, I wanted to make a bigger difference in the world, um, I forced myself, like I forced, you know, the to-do list because I thought that's what I needed to do in order to be who I wanted to be which is kind of like a hero or, you know, um, helper or whatever you want to call it. Um, but now I, I resonate with what you're saying here is that, you know, being in that connection with God, letting go of what is not us, so being our true selves and letting go of the things that no longer serve us or, you know, help us. Um, old, old stuff uh, can naturally, you know, be erased or, or dissolve away as we practice a centering prayer day in and day out. Um, that uh, these you know, the, the transformation starts happening in our lives in a way that we can't necessarily know. Uh, but that includes very practical things, like you said, you know, just things that you never thought would happen, and you are making an impact. And so uh, when I stopped forcing myself to do, 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 and just was in a place of what I call being, or that sitting with God, you know, just being present, um, and having that relationship, then the doing, there was still doing, but the doing was easier and the results faster and um, there are beautiful miracles along the way. So I hear your message, Rich, it's, and it's a beautiful message. Thank you so much. Sure, sure. And, 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 and so some of the things you start doing on your own because you have the courage to do them, and in other instances, just this type of practice, you open up to things and things come to you that, that you are chasing. So, for example, 
I didn't go after the book initially. Someone, Amos, challenged me to write a book. Um, then I, I created my own website. It was something I wanted to do. Teaching in the community, someone asked me, come to our church, and, and that and that got me into it. And then even earlier this January, I, I was asked to speak. And I had spoken in front of small groups, but someone approached me that they were doing a weekend Centering Prayer Summit where we're going to have 10 guest speakers over Saturday and Sunday, and we'd like you to come talk. And I and that was something that just came to me, and, and initially yep. scared me, but I figured I had to say yes, and, and I spoke to about 400 people on, on a Zoom call, and I just thought I I can do this. It's, it's no different than speaking to 10 people. I'm just speaking to 400 people uh, for one hour. So things kind of come to you. So some of the stuff I've been doing is stuff I thought of and wanted to do, but the other things that happened were because I was just open, and they came to me, or someone asked me to do it. I love it. Those opportunities, right? The, those those things in natural alignment start. Um, people call about that that attracting, you know, the positive things that happen. So just by doing centering prayer, you get guided as to the, you know, to what to do. But also the universe seems to, you know, shift and change um, to bring you that next piece. And we don't always have to work so hard and like myself, you know, forcing things to happen. <laughs> Right. It's, you know, it's so true, it this but way. it is. You, you got to leave room for some of that stuff that's going to happen in your life that you, you didn't, you're not dreaming up and you're not planning, but it starts presenting itself to you, then you have to decide if that's the thing I should do or not. Uh-huh. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so I just want to share with everyone to uh, check out um, Rich's site. It is silenceteaches, all one word, dot com. So silenceteaches. Dot com and right at the top it says start here and there's information about the centering prayer and some articles as well and in case you are part of an organization or a church that maybe would like to uh, welcome uh, Rich to speak to your congregation you can click the link that says invite me to speak um, and just you know follow Rich on social media and uh, and get a copy of his book Sitting with God. Uh, and you can get that right on Amazon, A Journey to Your True Self Through Centering Prayer. Rich, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And hopefully this was uh, helpful for your community. I'm sure it is. Yes, so thank you. And I want to uh, thank everyone who's listening in. Until next time we're together, lots of love and bye for now. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Rich. Thank you.